Um, yeah, so this is my last Sunday before I go on sabbatical. And as I sat down to prepare my words, Justin was like, hey, just you know, share what it is you feel like you need to share being, at being your last Sunday before sabbatical. And so I, I felt like I knew what I needed to share. And as soon as I sat down to start preparing my sermon, I just started crying. Like I'm preparing my sermon crying. Uh, I'm going to cry this morning. So just this is a little bit of a different Sunday at Cornerstone. So if you're new or newer to Cornerstone, the pastor doesn't always get up and like weep for a half an hour. Um, there's, just, there's just a lot of emotions. Like I'm going to miss my family. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and I also am excited about sabbatical. Like there's so many things I'm excited about. And what I'm teaching on today is particularly something that brings me to tears. Um, the elders have um, walked through this particular topic with me for years, and each time they've allowed me space in elder meetings to cry when I've talked about this. Um, and it's good that I cry um, because God honors those tears. And you're all thinking, what is he going to talk about this morning? Um, so we'll get there. So what, as I head off to sabbatical and I was thinking about what I want to share with you this morning, I thought I need to share something that I'm going to be engaging in sabbatical. That's not just something for me personally, but something that, that I think is important that I engage on behalf of Cornerstone and that Cornerstone engages together. Like this should be a component of sabbatical for, for all of us. And so that's why I want to talk about it. It kind of will, will lead us into at least one aspect of what it will mean for me to be in sabbatical and what it will mean for you to be a church with uh, one of their pastors on sabbatical. At which I'm totally blessed to be at a church where the elders, the elders don't require much at Cornerstone. Like there's nothing that they put their hand down on and say, you got to do this. Um, but the one thing that they do is this very loving and gracious thing is you've got to take a sabbatical every seven years if you're, uh, if you're on staff. And, it's a, and the body, you all have received that. And just me walking into sabbatical has been, you all have been awesome. Like your encouragement, your love, your, your, just, your blessing on our family has been tremendous. So thank you. What an awesome thing. Um, and um, I know uh, there's a lot of pastors who don't have this privilege and blessing and, and they need it. And I, and I get to receive that gift from you all, from our elders, from God. And so thank you for being a part of that. So what is it as I get into sabbatical? Um, one of, uh, of course, I'll be engaging, you know, spiritual things um, over sabbatical and some intentional spiritual things that I'm looking at in my life that, that I feel like have been there, but I just haven't, you know, had the time to really get into it, you know, for whatever reason. But I'm just like, man, I really... I want to get with God in some deep, deep ways over this concept and this concept and this concept. And unfortunately, that's what it's been, is a concept. But these things aren't concepts. They're real-life things that affect our hearts and affect our life and affect our relationships. And so there's these concepts that have been concepts for me that have to become real. And one of those um, is what I want to talk about this morning. And I want it to take root in my heart. I want it to take root in the body here of Christ here at Cornerstone. Um, so that um, we, I, can live more fully in my identity as a son of God and in my relationships with each of you and you together with one another and, and our relationship with the world. Like, this is what these concepts ultimately mean. We don't just study them and get them in our head and talk about them. Like, they have to become real. Like, they have to bump up against real life or else what's the point of God's living and active truth if it's not living and active, right? So, um, one of the things I anticipate wrestling with most as I engage sabbatical is judgment. Um, the concept of judgment is something that I have wrestled with in my life. Um, I, I, uh, 
I've struggled with it for a long time, and I, and I frankly, I want freedom from it. I've known that I wanted freedom from it, but I always go to judgment as like an old friend. Like, it's there for me. It kind of makes me feel better when I'm upset about something for a little bit, but ultimately I know that it's not good for me to be such a good judge of other people, you know, to put it that way. And so as I engage sabbatical, I'm really, um, this is one of something spiritually that I'm engaging is, is judgment. I am fully capable of leveling judgment towards anyone who doesn't think, feel, act, communicate, or love like I do. Um, um, there's always kind of room for judgment in those places with me. And uh, most of the time, I can keep that judgment buried, which in the short term can be good and beneficial um, in some way because I'm not out like just saying things that I shouldn't and just destroying relationships in my life just by speaking everything. At the same time, judging and having a spirit of judgment and keeping that in just ultimately destroys your heart, right? It becomes a seed and a root for all kinds of just damaging stuff that is just not good at all. And so um, I want to begin to engage that. I want to look at some scripture as we jump into this. Uh, Matthew 15 to 20. Then Jesus called the crowd to come and hear. Listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes in your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. Then the disciples came to him and asked, do you realize you offended the Pharisees by what you just said? Jesus replied, every plant not planted by my heavenly father will be uprooted. So ignore them. They are blind guides leading the blind. And if one blind person guides another, they will both fall into a ditch. Then Peter said to Jesus, explain to us this parable that says people aren't defiled by what they eat. Of course, they had all these dietary laws, and this is what they're wrestling with right now. Like, Jesus, you're offending people who don't eat certain things. And Jesus is like, whoa, wait a minute here. Explain this to us, Jesus. Don't you understand yet, Jesus asked? Anything you eat passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. But the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. So Jesus is getting to this thing of like, what's in our hearts and what's stored up there like matters. Like there's some dark stuff that gets stored up in our hearts, judgment being one of those. And, uh, and if we live with that in there, like that's ultimately what comes out as the fruit of our life in some way. And it's not good. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes and grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. So again, this idea that the heart is this, this storehouse, which, you know, the lock, I don't know, maybe there's something there that Justin gave. So this storehouse, that out of, out of it comes things that matter. It's the core of who we are, this thing that we call the heart. I mean, we're not necessarily talking about our physical heart here. We're talking about the core of our being, this place, the depths of our spirit, and, and what's in there and what's stored up there has a wide-ranging effects in our actions and in our words as it starts to flow out of us. And eventually, it will start to flow out of us. Um, I, I'm not sure where this judgment has its root in me, but I think part of it is in a, like a level of self-righteousness. Like, I'm good, I can handle this. I'm self-righteousness, right? As opposed to being, um, taking on the righteousness that God has declared in me. 
Okay, so like I, you can kind of set yourself apart from God and say, I am righteous. I, I will declare myself righteous as opposed to living in the fact that we are declared righteous by God. Like he, he has judged us to be right and to be good. Um, so I think that's part of it. Another part of it is just, you know, receiving offense and then just feeling legitimized to fire back at offense with judgment. So you've offended me or this institution, not this institution, but an institution has offended me. And so I now therefore have the right to level judgment against them in my thoughts, in my words, so that I can say how bad and wrong they are, not just for judging me or for offending me, but for being just horrible through and through, right? You know, it can just build and grow. And so we, I can get to these places where when I think of certain relationships in my life or certain institutions that I've been connected with or am connected with, I can just think in a very judgmental way. And what does that look like? Uh, typically not like confrontation, but typically like conversations in the kitchen with Courtney like over and over again about the same people who've done the same thing, who have brought the same hurt. And somehow in that conversation, the judgment that I'm bringing is somehow going to right the situation. Like it's as powerful as God's judgment is, you know? Like I almost believe that. Like by having that conversation, and I can say all these things like, this is going to come on them, that's going to come on them, or at least it should, because of what they've done and how horrible this is or how horrible that collective is. And over and over and over again, day after day, year after year, and, like, I never stop to say, like, this is not getting you anywhere. This is worse. Because your judgment doesn't mean anything in the situation. It's not judging. It's not righteous judgment. It's not changing their hearts, right? It's changing my heart, and not in a good way. So I feel like I'm leveling this righteous judgment when I think and feel these things, but I'm not. But I'm not. And I just continually would find myself in the same place, judging and judging and ju- saying the same things over and over again. So it doesn't just affect me and my heart. It affects Courtney. Because she can say, oh, yeah, anyway, oh, that's, yeah, you're right. You know, we can just get on board with each other and be a team, you know. Judgment team number one in the rankings this week. And then who else does it affect? It affects my kids. They overhear conversations. They're really good about pretending that they don't hear what we're saying. But I was a kid once. I knew what was going on with my parents. You know, like, my kids are smart. You're smart. Um, They hear stuff. And, you know, we use, like, code language, you know, like, well, you know, like the first letter of somebody's last name, you know, or, yes, they, he did, you know, and and maybe they don't know who we're talking about, but they know that, they get the spirit of what we're talking about and they can take that on. So, so you know, there's a spiritual component to it. And then, of course, you know, I am a part of shepherding this body at Cornerstone. So it affects you all. It's a spiritual thing, you know? It's a spiritual thing. So it doesn't just stay here. It, it goes out. Like, there's an effect. There's an effect that it has. Um, I feel that by judgment, I can heal myself. Oh, I feel this pain. Oh, I'm a victim of something. I need to feel better because I don't want to feel this pain. So judgment in some weird way is like, it feels like it can be self-healing. It's not. 
because I would have stopped having the same conversations over and over again if it were self-healing. It, it doesn't heal. It continues to, it, it, it opens the wound deeper. It makes it harder. It makes it deeper. It's just not the place to go, right? And I know that. Courtney and I have said numerous times over the years, we got to stop talking about this. We got to stop talking about this. We got to stop talking about them. We got to stop talking about this collective. We got to, we realize the effect. Okay, do we? No, because there's just something that just, it's just so easy. It just flows so naturally because we've practiced it and gotten into it and it just becomes this natural thing for me. Um, which is not a good natural habit, pattern, behavior to get into because it's about, it's about the heart. It's about the heart. Um, I'm not telling you all of this. I just want to be very clear to wallow in, like this is like somehow like, you know, I'm going to beat myself on the back until I bleed and, you know, do all this stuff and I'm confessing all this stuff in front of Cornerstone so I can kind of get it off my chest. That's not what this is about at all. That's, Please don't hear that. This isn't about me, like, oh, woe is me. Here's all my shame, and, you know, and now that I told you, I can feel better. That's not healthy, and that's not what this is at all. But again, as your shepherd, like, this is a big spiritual issue. Like, whether or not you see, you may not look at me and say, oh, Matt, you're a judgmental person. I don't think that's how I come across to people, but I know in my spirit. And I think, humanly speaking, like, you're all sitting there saying, oh, Matt, don't be so hard on yourself. Like, I can relate to that. Like, I, I get it. You know, like, it's okay. Like, don't feel so bad. Don't cry about that. Um, but this is something we all struggle with. And so as I shepherd the body of Christ at Cornerstone, this is one way that I shepherd you, is that I share some pieces of my life and some places of vulnerability that I'm walking into. Because it probably means that there's something for Cornerstone in this as well when I am on sabbatical and you are on sabbatical with me here at the church. Um, so that's, that's why I'm sharing this with you. That's, that's why I'm sharing this with you. And, and think what spiritual power lies in a collective body of people who are free of judgment and living in God's mercy. Like what spiritual doors open up there? As I thought about judgment in my own life, I thought about like if, if I could just nip this judgment thing in the bud, which you don't just nip these things, okay? But like my thinking is if I can just take care of this, if I can just do the right thing, which don't ever approach a spiritual situation like this, but we tend to, oh, if I can just get down and dirty and get my hands dirty and I can just take care of this. Um, like, because I want to, I've wanted to for a long time, that I can, we can break free from a whole host of other things like uh, pride, um, jealousy, depression that comes on as a secondary result of all of these things, um, selfish ambition, and just being paralyzed in life. You know, we get paralyzed by this stuff. Like, I cannot get past this thing until that person burns, and then I'll live my life. Well, like, we can't move forward with what, this, just the simple, beautiful, wonderful things that God has for our life, because we're stuck, because we're not seeing results over here in judgment, and so we're stuck. And so we get stuck in jealousy and pride and, and a victim spirit is another huge one. You know, oh, I'm a victim of this and I'll be a victim of this and I want to be a victim of this. Even though we say we don't, but we'd stop talking about it if we did. And so there's so many things. So yes, all, that is all true. But again, it's deep spiritual work that brings freedom from judgment, which then brings freedom in a lot of these other places, I believe.
Um, and how freeing is that? How powerful is that? How, how, how much oneness does that bring into a body and then flows out of a body when we live together free of judgment and then trusting on the cross because that's where judgment rests. That's where judgment, you know, J- Jesus judged everything there. What if that's where we went? There's always going to be hurt. There's always going to be pain. It's just where we go when that comes. And what does that mean for us? And as a body, what kind of power? Like, good power. Jesus' presence among us and going forth from us could come in that kind of place. Um, that's, I, I want that. Do you want that? Like, I want that. I want that for us. I can't do this alone. Like, you can't do this alone. Like, this is something we need to walk in together. Um, I want the kind of thing, I want his wisdom to flow from me, right? And we've talked about this. You've, I go to this passage a lot, but like, this is what I want to flow from, from me. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind, but the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. As I think about living in freedom from judgment, I think about living in wisdom from above. Like when a, a hard situation is confronted, confronts me, and somebody does something or feels something towards me in a way that just feels messed up. Like, I don't want to judge that. I want to live in God's wisdom, which is full of mercy and um, all these other really good things. I don't want to live in earthly wisdom. Earthly wisdom tells me, you did wrong, I'm going to enact judgment on that. Like, that's earthly wisdom. We, we all know that. Like, you know, it's eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, right? That's, that's, easy for us to go to. Um, that's earthly. God's wisdom is, speaks of something completely, completely different. Um, in my role as pastor at Cornerstone, the place where I've spoken generically to judgment, but I think the place that judgment most confronts me is when I look at the big C church, okay? The broader church. That's the place where I most engage judgment as it relates to us as a body of Christ. You know, my heart is to, and you know this, is I'm, I'm always connecting with other ministries and churches and, you know, in the community and all these sorts of things. And so I'm, I'm always interacting with other leaders and other bodies and all kinds of things like that. And you all come along for components of that. Um, and so I'm out there and I see these things and I, lo- I want this. I see this. I want this, the big C church to be together. But being in that realm and having a heart for that has also led me to experience some things where I'm going, whoa, that, that is not of God. Or why would you do that to Cornerstone? Like, this is my church. Like, this is, like, this is my family. Like, you can't say that about Cornerstone. Um, or you can't, you can't go out there publicly and make that judgment to us because that's wrong. And so in this realm of the Big C Church, I have felt offense, um, which has led me to then do my judgment thing. Oh, that church over there, oh my goodness. 
can't believe that. Wow, they're still the bride of Christ. Wow, they must be hanging on by a thread, you know? I mean, I joke around about it, but like in my heart, like these are some things that I think. I can't believe that they'd minister. How, they, how can you see the kingdom that way? Or you must be looking at a different kingdom than what I'm looking at. Cornerstone's got it figured out. And so I can walk, the offense is legitimate. The response is illegitimate on my end, okay? And so I think God has designed me to feel those things and to cry over those things with the elders and with you all, to, to feel like, oh man, what, is, what, are we, what are we doing? What are we, big W, broader church, outside of Cornerstone, doing? Why, why, are we, why are we hurting people this way? Why are churches splitting and then half the church goes to another church and that church goes, yeah, come on in. No, no, that's not okay. There needs to be healing there. You can't just say, yay, we've got more people in our seats and more money in the offering plate. That's not okay. What are you doing? Judgment, 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 right? That's what I bring. And so as I've been in this for years, I've just been like, man, I can't, I can't live in this place. When we travel and uh, we go other places and I see other churches, I'm like, I'm reminded of like, okay, Cornerstone is not the center of the church universe, right, Matt? There are churches everywhere, and they are the bride of Christ. And, and then it's easy for me to come back into Lebanon and then forget that. And then, you know, I'll go away and, oh my goodness, there's churches in other countries. That's right, I forgot. You know, there's churches in other states, and, and like, they're telling people about Jesus, and they love him. And, and the churches in, in my community that, that I might feel an offense from or something from, they love Jesus, and they're building his kingdom. Matt, so you need to figure out this judgment thing sooner or later before you die on the vine, and you can't be in the church anymore, you know? And so this is the place that I continually find myself coming to, particularly um, as it relates to my role as a pastor um, here at Cornerstone and, and as a leader in the broader community here in the city of Lebanon. Um. And I don't want to live in that place. Like, I want to love God's church. Um, I, want to, I want his church to receive fully. I want to feel the pain that God feels when his church kind of goes off, whether that's Cornerstone or another church. But, but for me to bring judgment to that is not, not helpful. So, Scripture. Let's go to Scripture. Where does judgment lead us? What, what kind of path does it take us on? Um, Matthew chapter 7 Verses 1 and 2. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. I know the standard I use in judging. I don't want to be judged by that standard. <laughs> I can tell you that. I have clarity on that. Um, my judging is, is pretty lethal. I don't want to be judged that way. Because I'm a pretty good guy, Right? At least that's what I think. But that's what the scripture says. Like, you know, that's the standard that God's going to judge you by. Like, your standard of judgment. I'm like, oh, man. Like, that alone, you know, brings me to my knees. God's judgment is perfect. My judgment is severely imperfect. Your judgment is severely imperfect. Um, God's judgment is perfect. So we will be judged by the standard in which we judge. Uh, flip up to Luke 18. Luke 18, verse 9. 
Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else, for I don't cheat, I don't sin, and I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, the sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So where does judgment lead me? Where does judgment lead us? Um, It leads us to be humbled by a God who is not impressed by our judgment when our judgment lines up next to his judgment, it's, it's just not even a comparison. But we'll be humbled, for sure, by God. Uh, Galatians 6, 7. Galatians chapter 6. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. This is what I'm doing. When I bring judgment, I mock the justice of God. It's like I know what his justice should look like, so I take it in my own hands and do it. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always, always harvest what you plant. So, if you sow judgment, you will reap judgment. Which, in our sinful nature, means that we'll probably sow more judgment to get back at that judgment that just we felt came back at us, right? And we just live in this cycle. So what we sow, we will reap. Um, And then James chapter 4. James chapter 4. James chapter 4 verse 11 says this, Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone who gave the law is the judge. He alone has the power to save or destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? I mean, that's what I feel like I'm doing when I judge people and when I judge the church, is that I feel like I am um, I'm actually, I have the power to save it or destroy it. Like somehow my judgment is going to have that kind of spiritual impact. It's going to have a spiritual impact. It's not going to have that kind of spiritual impact. It might destroy something. It's going to be me. It's not going to be what I'm judging. When we, when we judge, when we take that seat of judgment into our own hands and live in that place, we go back to the garden and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We go back to that place and say, I, I can do this just as good or better than God can. But James says, God is the judge. He is the judge. So how, how are we to engage offense, hurt, and sin? If judgment is clearly not the way, then what is the way? Matthew 6. Matthew six fourteen and 15. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Um, forgiveness. How hard is that? 
oh, Matt, you don't know what this person did to me. You don't know the evil that they perpetrated on me. I, I don't. I don't. Maybe in some cases I do. It doesn't matter. It, he says, like, give forgive, forgiveness. How do, how do we have the strength to do that? It, through the Holy Spirit. Not through our own, own nature, because we're not capable of it. But through the Holy Spirit. Like, we can forgive. And maybe it's not a face-to-face. Maybe it is. But there's something in our spirit that takes that forgiveness and says, you know what? Jesus died for that sin. His blood was shed for that sin. Like, it's, it's in Jesus's. I don't have to die for it. This person doesn't have to die for it. Jesus already died for it. So somehow we have to figure out spiritually how to transact that from our account or that person's account who offended us to Jesus's account. Because it's, it's done. It's done. He paid the price. Like, we don't have to keep paying the price. They don't have to keep pay, paying, the, paying the price. Forgiveness. Um, back to James 2, verse 12. How are we to walk in this way? James 2, verse 12. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful... God will be merciful when he judges you. And your translation might say what? Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Like that's, that's our God. Um, that doesn't mean that there isn't right and wrong. That doesn't mean that we throw truth aside. We're going to get to that in just a little bit. But be well aware that mercy triumphs over judgment. And then um, go back to Galatians. And I want to read more of that, of that uh, chapter 6 there. Galatians chapter 6. Dear brothers and sisters, verse 1. If, someone is, if, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back into the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. Man, is judgment not just this one big massive comparison? You know, I am better, you are worse, to boil it down. I am better, you are worse. You need to know that. Let the judgment reign, right? For we are each responsible for our own conduct. Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. Don't be, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. So when you see junk and sin in somebody else and it's coming towards you, you don't respond with judgment. You respond by stepping into their mess and carrying some of that burden and load. Holy cow. I don't want to do that. That's not where I, that's the last place that I want to be. But we step in and we share the burden. We share the load because there's probably something else there. 
We're feeling what we feel. We're getting what we get. We're offended, legitimately so, but there's something else there. And Jesus says, this is a brother or sister. You step in and you carry that burden with them. Wow. Now, the importance of truth. This is, we could very easily say, oh, you know, maybe you're not a person who likes confrontation or maybe you're, you're, you're a very loving, caring person and the whole idea of speaking truth to somebody is very hard. So this whole idea of mercy over judgment feels good because you might feel hurt, you are hurt. We all get hurt and offended by others. But we don't want to speak it out. So we're like, oh, I'm going to be nice to them. Or we'll pretend nice to them, you know. Oh, I'm showing them mercy. You hate them. It's just that when you see, oh, hey, what's up? How are you doing? How are the kids? Oh, that's great. Yeah, right. Oh, wow, that's great. I hope you fail. Um, that's awesome. I'm glad that new thing is working out for you. You stink, right? We've, we know that. We fake it. We fake mercy because we don't like confrontation. We want the truth to come out. So we end up even just liars in their face, you know? And so it's a very dangerous place to be. So truth, truth matters. Truth matters. Uh, go back to Matthew 7 again. We're going to stay in Matthew for a couple, couple more here, and then I'm going to move on. Matthew 7. Verses 3, and, 3 to 5. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite! First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Like, when you read that out, like, you're to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Deal with the judgment and the junk and the hurt and offense, but you've got to go back and deal with the speck in their eye. You can't just judge without dealing with what's happening here. So there is a journey back. You are to go. You are to deal with the speck, but in the right order. Right? Truth matters. But make sure you do things in the right order. Take the log out of your own eye first. In that same chapter, um, just going to verse 15, there's this whole thing that Jesus goes into about uh, beware of false prophets who come. I mean, so we're just verses removed in this. And Jesus has gone hardcore on truth. Don't, don't be around that mistruth. Like, truth matters. Right? False prophets, just don't deal with it. Get away from it. You don't want to put yourself in the midst of that. So truth matters here. We don't just run away from truth. And then uh, Matthew 18, which is a familiar passage. Matthew 18, verse 15. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again, so that every, everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. So there's this process, right? Like, go. Like, you've felt offense. Go. If they don't listen, take two or three other people with you and go again. And if they don't listen again, then you, you go a third time, right? And at that point, you know, there's a level of judgment that comes through the truth that's vested in God's word. But again, like the truth matters. There's a going to somebody. Um, there's an engagement of somebody. We don't just do fake mercy. We give real mercy. We give real love in these places. And then in Galatians 6.1, we read, um, we don't have to flip back to it, but about restoring others humbly and gently. 
So, the easy thing is to judge because we can do it in the privacy of our own home and the privacy of our own heart. The reality is, the results of that are, are, are dangerous, and we're going to talk about that in a second. They're, they're so dangerous. There is a right way to engage offense and hurt so that we aren't living in a space of judgment that is so much healthier and so much more freeing and so much more releasing into the things of the kingdom of God that he actually wants from us that involve things like humility and mercy and love and compassion. But with truth, this matters. So, in summary... Oh, sorry, I didn't put that last slide up for you. We will be hurt by people. You cannot isolate yourself enough to not be hurt by people. You will be hurt by people, probably people that are closest to you will hurt you the most deeply, okay? Because they have access to places that others don't. You will be hurt by people. God is the judge. We are not. If we choose to judge, we will reap what we sow, But we are not to stand idle in these situations of hurt, but are to bring mercy, forgiveness, and truth, but not judgment. If we sow mercy and forgiveness, we will reap a harvest of blessing. We must follow the Spirit of God through this process. We do not have the strength on our own. And please don't just boil this down to a bunch of bullet points. I mean, like, feel the heart of this. Like, feel what's actually in here. Feel the truth for each of us. I mean, for yourself, for the collective body at Cornerstone. We will be hurt. God is the judge. If we choose to judge, we'll reap what we sow. We're not to stand idle. We're to bring mercy, forgiveness, and truth, but not judgment. If we sow mercy and forgiveness, we will reap a harvest of blessing. That's what Galatians chapter 6 says. We must follow the Spirit of God through this. We do not have the strength on our own to do it. Um, This whole idea, if you want to look at Galatians 6, I'm going to be there just for a few minutes. Um, If we plant judgment, like if that's what we plant, if we plant the seed of judgment, that's what we will reap. Um, And we're like, yeah, okay, you know, whatever, that's great. But when you think about this concept of planting and reaping, or sowing and harvesting, or whatever terms you want to use. The idea is that you plant a seed. It's a little thing, right? It's a little tiny thing. When you harvest, there's a gathering, right? You don't just go gather all those seeds again and put them in a bag and leave. Any farmer in our congregation will tell you that, and you know that. It's very simple, basic truth. So this whole idea of sowing and reaping is that whatever you sow multiplies in size and scope and shape and efficiency and all this stuff. It multiplies. So you plant seeds and they grow up into something bigger and fruitful. And it's like something you can eat or something you can feed to somebody else or feed to your animals. So its purpose increases. Its size increases. Everything about it increases, right? So if you plant a seed of judgment, it grows into this uglier thing that comes back at you. Um, I want to show a video, which, as I was preparing today, I don't know what just happened there. There we go. So watch this guy. Watch him reap what he sows. Okay. How many of you have done that with a ball, golf ball, something? Maybe it wasn't your face. Maybe it was another part of the body. Um, So... This is, this is an illustration of what co- the return of judgment. So 
this guy is slamming the ball down, right? It's not hard for, he's frustrated. So he's got this energy built up and he's upset that that guy scored. And so he slams the ball down. Very easy to slam a basketball down. Not as easy to catch it on its rebound, right? It's, it's very, basketball's rubber or leather, very springy, very, it's designed to bounce, right? So it like gets this energy from the floor and it comes flying up and hits him in the face. So he doesn't account for this. He's like, ah, I should slam this basketball on the ground because I'm mad and this ball is a thing and I can, I can have power and authority over it and, and I can be mad at it. And ugh. But he just doesn't think of what the return is going to be, which is way more than what he put into it, right? Doing this, eh, no big deal. But pff, taking that back in the face, pff, that always is a good sound in the microphone, is so much worse. It's, it hurts way more than it hurt to bounce it right? Does it hurt to bounce a basketball? No. Does it hurt when that bouncing basketball hits you in the face? Yes. Um, there's a long-term impact to that. Um, there's his humiliation that now exists, which he was humiliated a little bit when that guy went around him. Now he's humiliated even more because he hurt himself. So it grows, right? It grows. This whole idea, you can see it, right? You can see it happening here. Um, when we judge, judging, like I said earlier, it's, it's so easy to release that seed of judgment, right? It just, it just flows. It's so natural. Like, it's like, it's like it's part of us. Like, you offended me, you hurt me, you did this thing, and wow, here comes judgment. Woo! It's so easy. But when it comes back, it's bigger, it's fuller, it's meaner, it's hairier. Not that a lot of hair is necessarily bad, but culturally we say that. I don't know why. Big, hairy, ugly thing? I don't know. Anyway, I don't know why I said all that. Um, so, uh, if you have a lot of hair, I, di- I didn't mean to offend you. Uh, and if you have little hair, I'm not saying that you're better than everybody else either. So, so it just grows. It becomes this, this big monster that comes back at us. And so Keith Yoder, who we know, who's a spiritual father to us here at Cornerstone, um, has this diagram. This isn't Keith's. Justin modified Keith's awesome hand-sketched diagram into this. Um, so when we sow, see it? Like, and then here it comes. And bam. Oops. It hits the wall. It comes back. This concept, this is a picture of the biblical concept of sowing and reaping. And this can be good or bad. If we sow mercy and compassion, then what comes back is even better because God's that kind of God. He's awesome. He turns a little mustard seed into something much bigger, right? He turns a little bit of faith into something much bigger. He's incredible. He turns a little bit of generosity into this amazing gift. That's, that's how much he loves us. But also, when we sow these bad seeds, they turn into something uglier too. So we sow these seeds of judgment and it comes back and it just bites us and it, it's ugly and it can be rough and we don't want to live it. Except in his mercy, there's the cross. And so the, the, the judgment never even needs to leave. It never even needs to leave the hand or the foot or the mouth or the heart or the head because the cross is there. Like the cross... Like, Jesus died on the cross. He died for that sin, for that offense. Like, our judgment, it's so powerless compared to the power of Jesus' blood on the cross. It's so, it's so, to even think, as I stand up here and say this to you, I'm like, how in the world could I possibly judge anybody for anything when Jesus died on the cross for it already and it's so much better? It's like if somebody... Maybe you're not into cars, and I'm not either, but this is the first thing that comes to my mind. Like, somebody says, um, do you want to keep, do you remember Yugos from Yugoslavia? Do you remember those cars? 
And it was like the car we always made fun of, or like a Pinto, a Ford Pinto. You know, they'd blow up if they got, had an accident on the side because the gas tank was like right there. And so it's like, oh, a Ford Pinto or a, a Yugo. Oh, hey, that's, not, that's like a skateboard. It's not even really a car. If, if you had a Yugo and somebody's like, hey, do you want this new Ferrari and uh, I'll pay for the insurance for it too? And you're like, no, no, my Yugo is really, dude, my Yugo can whip your Ferrari's butt. Are you kidding me? Let's go. Obviously, no. It's so even, it's, that's so out of the realm of, of anything realistic that it's funny. At least I hope you find it to be funny. But that's what we do when we, when we line our, uh, our judgment up against the power of the cross and say, no, our judgment's better. Thanks, God, for dying for me. I'll take that over here in this part of my life, but not over here because Olivia, wow, she just hurt me. Sorry, Olivia. She's great. She didn't offend me. Um, but I will take my Yugo and deal with that over here. God, your blood, I'll use it for other things like worshiping on a Sunday morning and talking about it with my friends or, you know. But that's what we do. And then we just live in this place of judgment and we reap what we sow and just darkness comes and we just, we're stuck. And we don't want to be that way, but we're just stuck because it's so easy. It's so easy to sow that seed. It's so easy. So um, as we move into communion this morning, um, what if we as a body of believers here at Cornerstone, if nothing else, if, if everything else were different about us, but what if we, what if we chose to engage this here and to say, you know what, I'm done judging my mom or I'm done judging my dad or I'm do- done judging that person who hurt me like so bad or I'm, I'm done judging the church down the street or I'm done judging whoever, fill it in, you all know who those people are. What if, what if we lived in that place? What would happen among us would be incredible. What would flow from us would be a transformative power in and through us and to our community that would be pretty amazing um, because it would be the cross because that's what we're looking at now. That's what we're looking at. Um, I'm excited to see you over the next four months. I'm putting myself on the hook by talking about this because it means like I have to engage it. Like, I can't come back to you all and you say, hey, Matt, how's that judgment thing? Oh, you know what? It was just, I was sleeping in until 10 o'clock every morning and then, you know, at the pool and I just never got around to it, which is not what sabbatical is going to be, by the way. It's very structured. I'll be at the pool a little bit. Um, Like, I can't, like, I have to. Like, you're my family. You care about me. Like, you want this to be something new in me. I want this to be new in you. So I will ask you when I come back, where is this? What's happened What's God doing? And I want you to ask me the same thing. Like, this matters here. This matters. Um, What might happen in our community? What might happen in this church? What might happen in our hearts if we let the Spirit um, lead us in this way? Um, We're going to take communion with this in mind, um, with this very thing in mind. Uh, We're going to, just a second, Patty. Um, We're going to just kind of, Courtney and I are going to serve communion. You can come back to the table, and uh, we'll rip the bread um, you can rip a piece of bread off and dip it in the cup and share that. But this is, what, this is what we're engaging in our head and heart today as we do it. Like, the judgment that we level is so off compared to the perfect judgment that came on the cross. And we remember that. We remember his blood. We remember that it covers us. We remember that it covers our inability to not judge, that God can heal us, that God can heal this situation, that his blood matters. Like, he died on the cross so we don't have to judge. So let's walk in that way. I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to go back with Courtney, and then uh, when the music starts, you all can just kind of come up when you would like to. Jesus, um, as we take communion today, God, um, bring healing 
um, in these places of judgment in our lives, bring healing in the relationships that we have just not been able to like see past because there's so much hurt that we just, we, wanna, we want some, something painful to happen to somebody or someone to, to realize just so, so it's equal. But God, your death on the cross was not about equal. Um, if you were all about equality, Jesus, then we would die. Then we would be the ones dying. But you chose this, this spiritual concept of inequality and you died for us. You died for the hurt and offense that we have. You died for the hurt and offense that we level at others, God, so that we aren't judged. God, your mercy is good. Your judgment is good and perfect and right, God. And so we rest in this place and we want to be healed in this place, Jesus. So bring healing. If there is this place that we just cannot let go, that person hurt me so bad, it's so, I just cannot, the hurt is there, it's so real, it's so raw, and it just keeps opening up and over and over. God, your power is bigger than that. Your blood, is, your healing, it's, just, it's, it's for those places, God. Um, so God, bring healing. Let this be the start of something in me, let this be a start of something for Cornerstone when it comes to judgment, God. Wherever that comes towards us or whether it goes from us, God, um, we can look at to you. We can look at the cross and know, God, that we are healed. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So what I want to leave you with, besides these tears... Um, is that um, the kingdom of heaven is now advancing, not because of any great programs that we put together. Um, it's advancing because we, we, we have faith, that we believe in the cross, that we, that we step into places of not judging because the Spirit's with us in those places. Um, and, 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 and so the Spirit invades our heart and we become like a, like a people who aren't judgmental people. And out of that, like, um, like the spirit invades this broken town, like, which is, you know, it's just, it's just another huge part of my heart is Lebanon. And that's another place that I'm going to be engaging when I'm gone is, I was telling the prayer group this morning, like, I'm just, I'm just going to be back in the neighborhood again. Like, there's been so many, there's so much going on in ministry that's good that I'm, that I'm not actually in the neighborhood, you know? And so, as we think of what it means to transform our lives and to transform this city, it's things like, like judgment and looking at the cross instead of looking at the hurt and offense and dwelling on it. Um, and, then, and then we'll get to see our city change. Like, there's great programs that are doing great things in our city, but that's not ultimately what's going to change our city. Like, it's, it's, it's people like us that are changed by the love and mercy of Christ going out and bringing that same thing to our city. So that's what I want to bless us with this morning as we leave. Um, God, as we leave here today, um, your people, we leave changed because your word changes us. Um, We don't want to be people who are judges. We don't want to be judges. We want to be um, lovers of your truth and lovers of our neighbor, God. We want to love you and love our neighbor, God. We don't want to be you as judge, um, and we don't want to judge our neighbor. We want to love you and love our neighbor. And in and through that, God, we are changed. We become people, not victims, um, not prideful people, not people just shackled by judgment um, towards us or from us. But God, we are people free, changed and transformed in your love and in our city 
is free and changed and transformed in your love. So Jesus, um, you name us and you call us out and you call us out in that today and in the months ahead, Jesus. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.